Welcome to Cardboard in the Classroom. We're a podcast about using board games in the classroom to bridge a student's understanding and engagement with the purpose to enhance their learning experience. This episode brought to you by the great people at Gamesurplus.com, where you can find the current hits, the classics, and the hard-to-find titles. Let Carmen and Elaine find your games and receive free shipping for all contiguous U.S. shipping orders over $120. Remember, Gamesurplus.com. Great people, great selection, great price. And in Canada, amazing stories in Saskatoon. If you're in the Saskatoon area, come by the store for Friday night board games. Play and receive 20% off your purchase of any board games in the store. These are the winners of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Retailer in Canada and nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award presented at Comic-Con. Hey there, this is episode three of Cardboard in the Classroom. I'm your host, Norm. On today's episode, we're going to discuss board games in the library, and we have a special guest, so stay tuned. What is a cardboard cohort? Well, cardboard cohorts are board gamers banded together who support and inspire one another and become colleagues and friends in the board gaming community. And with that being said, we would like to support the good, the bored, and the ugly. They have a podcast on iTunes and they record weekly live stream YouTube content. So please check them out. Welcome back to Cardboard in the Classroom. Um, I have a special guest in the guest chair, and I will let him present himself to you. Uh, hello, I am uh, I'm Aaron. I'm uh, from the Boards Alive podcast, and uh, mostly a lot of stupid jokes from 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 that <laughs> show. So thanks for having me on. I'm I'm excited to talk about libraries and uh, and my life therein. This is um, w- one of my favorite things about having this hobby and the the you know, the, what we do in the classrooms and in the libraries with the students, it, uh, it's basically, I, we get to share our passion with the students. So I'm excited about that. Um, let's, uh, let's start off with the academic side. Like you said, um, working in the library, let's give us a bigger picture on that. Where? I'm, uh, I'm so envious of the location you live in right now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, I work in a, in a middle school. I'm the teacher librarian at a middle school. I've been working as a teacher librarian for, this is my fourth year uh, in that position at Glen Rosa Middle School in West Kelowna, which is uh, in British Columbia. So you've got the most beautiful province in, and we're probably one of the most beautiful cities in that province in Canada. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a pretty nice place to live, my friend. And you have most of the retired Saskatchewan people. Yeah, we get a lot of we get a lot of oldies that cross <laughs> the the Rockies, uh, come in from Alberta and Saskatchewan, and and they plant plant their roots here, and then we deal with their poor driving and <laughs> uh, slow retail purchasing in the superstores. The opening up the change purse and looking for the exact change. I I, I used pennies. To. Who has pennies? Well, that we don't exactly. So <laughs> when they try and pay with their pennies, and the cashier says, "I'm sorry, but that's not legal tender here in Canada," uh, you know that's always entertaining. Yeah. So it's uh, what is it like a thousand pennies for Can- or American uh, dime, something like pretty that? much at this point. Yeah, Quentin, uh, Quentin, my co-host on Boards Alive, always calls it the Canadian peso because <laughs> it's it's uh, not a strong dollar comparatively, yeah. or the CN. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, so yeah, so I I work with we just added a grade this year, so we are now a six to nine middle school. Oh. which has been an interesting experience. We are, <laughs> a half of our school is brand new to our school this year. So it's it's been interesting because we've been able to change the culture a little bit and and kind of push it to a, a, a super positive setting. We I work in a, uh, I would say a, a more challenging district or, or not district, challenging school and challenging neighborhood compared to some of the other areas in Kelowna. And so uh, so we face some tough negativity sometimes with our students. So it's been interesting to try and change that a bit this year. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I exist in the educational sphere. Excellent. So 
the uh, now that we've established the context of the professional side, let's go to the context of the Geekapalooza side. Let's talk about board games from your your most significant earliest experience and hit some milestones to get us to where you are today. Uh, okay, well, I in in my late late teens, I I played a little minis games. I I played a little Warhammer. Uh, and we played more time. So we played some of that great games workshop minis stuff. Uh, and we dabbled in Dungeons and Dragons. And then about seven, just over seven years ago, right around when my son was uh, about to be born, we kind of got back into D&D for some reason. I don't really know why. I think partially it was because I knew that I would not be going out and hanging out with my friends <laughs> as frequently as uh, I used to be able to, because I was about to have a small child under my care. And so I, I, my friends were wonderful people and decided, well, if you can't come out, we're going to come to you. And one of the things that we were able to do was, was play D and D. And so that really got us back into it. And then we, in the process of that, we started listening or watching the, the packs uh, D and D show oh, yeah. that they would do every year, uh, and we saw this Will Wheaton fellow who I had I didn't know who he was because I'd never watched Star Trek. <gasps> I know, I know. Believe me, I, <laughs> I hear of it. And uh, and so Quentin, my my friend, had said, "Oh, well, he also has this show, Tabletop, and he's got these other games that they play." You know, I'd played Catan at that point, and I'd played Ticket to Ride, and I'd played Carcassonne, and they were all good and entertaining. But I hadn't like really dived down that hole yet. And so he was like, "Oh yeah, they have this game called Small World," uh, and and then I found I stumbled on the Watch It Played channel and that just like in its early infancy and I started watching those videos because we learned how to play small world because of Rodney's videos and that just I just fell headlong into this ridiculously amazing hobby at that point so yeah that's kind of I don't have like a specific game other than Dungeons and Dragons that I would say really like pulled me in other than all those games, like all those games at the same time, all oh, these cool. opportunities of like trying these totally different games that were not, not what I had experienced in my previous time, uh, you know, fantasy games or games that were like risk, but not garbage like risk yeah. <laughs> or, uh, you know, those kinds of things. So, so that's kind of, that's kind of where I came from. And then cool. about four and a half years ago, I had this stupid idea to start a podcast <laughs> with my friend. And and so we took garbage microphones uh, and sit, sat them on a table and we talked. And people were like, yeah, these guys are okay, I guess. Uh, and four and a half years later, that's about how we're viewed in this hobby. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's you're doing it because... It's intrinsic motivation. You do it because you want to do it. You do it because it's just like playing it. Ryan and I were talking about doing this podcast and talking about it is, is scratching that same itch sometimes that, that when you're playing a game. Oh yeah. I love, I mean, if the reason we started doing a podcast is because we'll play a game and then we'll sit for 15 minutes or so afterwards and just talk about the experience. And so why wouldn't we just do that with a microphone in front of us? And and so, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's it's really just doing what we've always been doing, but now for an audience. So I guess we throw in more like wiener jokes to make it palatable <laughs> for people. That's pretty much how it goes. Yeah, up north, it's hot dogs. So, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, pop, soda, hot dogs. Um, so... Now we've got all that dialed in. We let's let's talk about what kind of uh, made my attention go straight to you. Um, following you on Twitter, and you were talking about all these really cool kind of resource-based learning approaches in the in the library that you were doing to enhance some of the students' understanding. And the first one that uh, made me kind of pull in instantly was how you were using Power Grid. So, like, talk about 
you know, start off with the with using the board games in the libraries. Sure. So the big thing for me is that I like I love board games, obviously. And who doesn't want to try and incorporate one of their hobbies into their their regular job? And so I had, you know, there's lots of ideas that you can have where you're like, oh, I wonder how I could use board games to help teach kids stuff. The problem is that it's really hard to do. Like, it's really hard to take a board game and make it work with, you know, the content that you're trying to teach or the, uh, well, content sucks. Focusing on content sucks. But like the skills that you want to teach or whatever and and pulling in topics that work for the, the, the competencies. In British Columbia, we, we talk about the core competencies and the curricular competencies. These are the skills that our students are trying to develop. And what I get frustrated by and what I see sometimes is when teachers are just using games as a reward or <laughs> as a time filler, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that drives me crazy because I want to incorporate board games in the classroom in a meaningful way. And so I've been, I've been striving and, uh, super hard to, to incorporate games in a meaningful way something that's actually going to help develop their skills. Now, like you could talk about, about just using board games in general, because board games force people to think, to think critically, to sometimes collaborate, to uh, think creatively. Like a lot of our main competencies that we're trying to get our students to learn. Yeah. I mean, you can cover a lot of that just by playing board games, but it, it, we also have content that we are, you know, supposed to try and bring into to help create context for yeah. the learning. Yeah. And so it, that's a challenge, right? So one of the things that I was doing in, in pre preparing my mind on how to do this was I was reading books. And one book that I, I, I left it at work uh, <laughs> and I've used it a bunch. And I was trying to, in preparation for coming on tonight, I was like, oh, I need to find the name of that book. What is the name of that book? And I can't, I can't find it. Uh, so I'm sorry to all those we'll listeners, but, we'll but there is a, there's a book, uh, that's about games in, in libraries, but it was games in, in like a school library setting and how the teachers could use them in the classroom, how teacher librarians can help teachers, uh, use games in the classroom. And, and it's at this point, it's almost a decade old. So some of the references and some of the games are a little older, but that was my jumping off point. And as I was reading through, uh, Power Grid was one of the games that they mentioned. And I said, well, the big question that often when you want to use games in the classroom is how are you going to do it? Are you going to buy multiple copies yeah. and, and go through that process, which can be very expensive, uh, we just recorded the other night about how we we talked about playing cytosis, which is a cell biology mm -hmm. game. And how how would you incorporate that? It's probably not like a big group game where the whole class is playing one game. So you have to have multiple copies. And that's a little cost prohibitive. But I was thinking, you know, Power Grid, I wonder if you could play that as a team game because it's too challenging for just one yeah. group of kids like it's a it's a meaty game and it's got lots of math in it so it's pretty challenging to just be, expect like a group of five kids to be able to sit down and play it so as the teacher i ended up being almost like a games master of the game i ran the game for them but i thought you know how about we add some role playing some gamification a little cool. bit to this game by having them pretend that they are a a company so you know that's what you're doing in power grid you're pretending yep. to be a company but what we did what i did is i i came up with a an idea where each student would be a uh chairman of some sort on their company so like one person would be the ceo and they would kind of be like the guiding leadership role and some person would be the cfo and they're handling all the money and making sure that they're budgeting their money right because like that game is pretty tight <laughs> on cash you got to be really smart with your money yeah uh and and one was the the oh, I, I let me bring it up i think it was the cmo um let me see. I've got all this stuff. Yeah. The CMO, the chief marketing officer. So they had to like, they could create commercials to get extra money for their, for their company. So I would, I was, I broke the game. Like we weren't truly playing power grid because I adapted the rules. I didn't, 
I didn't make it so constricting like the board yeah. when you play on the board it's like you know you only play five regions if you're playing five players or whatever and yeah. I said no forget that the board is wide open you can go anywhere that made it a little easier for kids to get going and not fight with other companies which is probably more fun when you're playing the regular game but but it's not as conducive to having them kind of like learn and build up uh, their understanding, right? Yeah, I was going to say that that allows them the opportunity to work that role-playing system that you created and to understand the synergy in between each individual role. Exactly. So, so what we did is uh, they would take like we still did the auction and we did it all like i was trying to like rapid fire get you know like oh these guys are going 25 what are you doing green anxiety you know? yeah 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 and boy did i learn that kids are bad with money uh, <laughs> so that was entertaining and and so we got to have conversations about like budgeting right being smart with your money i love they those were, teachable moments those are great yeah and they're they're minor moments but like kids learn a bit right but i mean these are i was doing this with grade seven kids they lack that frontal you know brain development to make some of those smart decisions right <laughs> they're very impulsive they don't they don't understand risk super well and so that was one of the things we were trying to trying to get them to understand uh and so we do that and then after they after they bought their power plants we we said that okay well you actually didn't buy a power plant. You bought the plans for this power plant. And now the government needs to approve you creating this power plant. And this is where we brought the research in. So cool. what the kids would do is they would break into their group, uh, like sit, they'd be sitting with their group already, but now they would have to research a set of questions about the, the energy source that they just bought. So like we were playing the new fancy edition because it's got a bigger board and the resources are a little nicer and it's a little clearer. And so the resources in that, and they fit better with our, with our province because instead of garbage trash as one of the resources, it's hydroelectricity, okay. which is a huge thing for BC, like 90 something percent of our energy is created by hydroelectric dams. And so, so they would do either that or oil or coal or uranium or green power. And so they would have to, do the questions well and answer the questions well enough that my team teacher, I was teaching with their science teacher. Yep. She would do all the marking because I, I'm not a science boy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I learned some stuff. I learned that like, you know, I mean, I guess I kind of knew that coal was really bad for the environment, <laughs> but I learned why it was that it was releasing heavy metals into water and stuff like that. But like, uh, but you know, she would do, she would kind of look the at the specialists take care of the specialist stuff. Yeah. Because that's, that's not my jam, but, but they would be, they would be required to meet the government's expectations. The government, me and the teacher were considered the government. And yeah. so we could, if they did a really good job, we would give them extra money, right? We would say, Oh, this is a government grant. You're showing that you really know your stuff. And so we would give them extra money or whatever. And so we just kind of played through the game and, and they had opportunities to research. And the main, the, I always like to have a real world consequence or a real world, uh, you know, check-in in, in yeah. any projects that I run. And so what we actually did is we had the students about partway through, or no, I, I think at the start, we let them know that they would be writing a letter to our local MLA. So a member of legislative assembly here in Canada. So that's the provincial government. So what they had to do is each student was going to be writing a letter to our, our member of the legislative assembly and recommending a resource type that our province should be focusing on. And so, so yeah, so there was like a real world consequence at the end and, and we made it cross curricular. So my friend, Brendan, who's been on our podcast before, and he, I love working with him. He's like one of my best friends and he's a humanities teacher. So what he did is he took the kids after we had done all this gameplay and he helped them research and write their letter. So oh, they, any extra research that they had to do. And then he taught them like letter writing, professional letter writing and how you speak to you know someone in authority and blah 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 and so we kind of 
grouped it into this big, big long-term thing that they went through with. And in the end, it was fine. Like, like I love talking, like I love talking about it. And I, I think that they learned stuff. Well, I, I'm loving everything you're saying so far, just for the sheer like relevance of every, every activity that you've given them, there is a genuine understandable purpose from their perspective. Yeah. And so, so I think that they were forced to learn stuff and and dive into a topic and make critical thinking choices like that game is not easy right no (laughs) lots of there's lots of math calculation and and i helped some of them through that and i was like okay well where's your best option what are you going to do where are you going to spread out oh well are you going to have enough money to okay so then they're thinking about budgeting because this humanities or this science teacher also taught them math and so it really became like this big all-encompassing project that took them you know a good two months to do like we played we played every other class she we were doing it we were trying to do it so it wasn't every class so that we didn't really like burn them out so i they would come down to the library for one class and then the next class they had science they would stay upstairs and do a different unit that they're working through or whatever yeah just to give them a break and not burn them out but also keep it as like an interesting and interesting oh let's go down to the library learning commons and we're gonna play this game and all that kind of stuff and so it was, I think that part worked. I, I would, I would change some things. I would probably push them to do a little more in depth research, uh, maybe some more individualized research because any, like the big struggle, anytime you have groups of like four kids trying to do any research is you still will have the one or the two kids that are not involved. Now, one of the, one of the jobs that that we had was the chief information officer and okay. they were they were in charge of delegating the tasks for research right so i was constantly like on those kids being like well what is tim doing why like you should be you should be keeping him in line like he is your employee right now yeah. so what is he doing and and trying to really bring some of that like that uh, role playing aspect into it a little more human and resources management i well that was actually my fifth <laughs> role so i had a fifth i had an emergency fifth role who was the the chief human resources officer in teams with five right and yeah. so then they were in charge of uh making everyone in the company really do their assigned tasks right <laughs> so they were like and they also had to mediate cuz you know what, these are grade seven kids and they're wacky sometimes. And so there were, there were times where groups were like, can we, can we disband our company? Can we (laughs) like, can we just not do this? Can we change who's in charge of our company? I was like, uh, well, I mean, you're going to have to deal with that. Like this is a real world situation. I, you can't just fire one of your fellow chief exec, like officers. Uh, so you have to work through that. Right. And, and some of those conversations came out and, and there was one group that I had to disband. Because, wow. Not, not because of that. There was, that was like a level of the, the teacher allowed them to pick their own groups. And this one group just was not, was not being smart, was not making good choices, was not really taking it seriously. And so they ended up with an alternative project, which anytime you do something like this, I don't care if you think it's the coolest crap that you've ever done in your classroom there is at least one kid that's going to be like, this is garbage. Like literally the other day, Brendan did this, this game with his kids to finish up the the last class on, uh, on Thursday, which we had, a, we didn't work yesterday. So it was, a, it was like essentially their Friday last class. Yeah. And this one girl walks out and on her way out, she turns to, to Brendan and says, well, that was the most boring class you've done all year. And <laughs> He was like, "Tip your waitress uh, on the way out." Wow, thank you for that. Right, and because no matter what you try, when you try and do unique stuff, you're still you're still teaching. Well, the ten percent rule, right? Yeah, yeah. You're still you're still gonna have kids that don't care that yeah. they. So, but you're doing your best, right? You're doing, and so I, in the end, I was happy with it. We ended up, uh, some of those kids ended up coming to this like end of year thing where they had to present to our like our school trustees and other board members the the like head of our entire district our superintendent 
came up and talked to them and then like was so excited because I guess he's a huge nerd, like huge <laughs> board game nerd. And yeah. so he like he came up and he's like, this is amazing. And I love what you're doing. And this is, you know, board games are absolutely exactly what we want to see in our classroom because yes it hits all of our core competencies they're making critical thinking they're Experience they're engaged is what i love about it absolutely right yeah. and so he was really excited and that really got my principal excited because you know when his boss is excited about what one of his teachers is doing he looks good let's get on board so i've been getting lots of really good support this year and i would i would run this again with some tweaking because yep. like you and i were talking before we came on it doesn't matter right like you can think it's great but there's always something you can do to make it better and uh, you have to think like that you have to always wanting to be honing your craft absolutely absolutely so so that's one of the ways that i <laughs> that was a long-winded description of one of the things that i did i was loving every second of it i do i i mean there's other stuff that we do and other stuff that i feel like has totally flopped for me uh we've we've done some really cool stuff with our grade nine social studies brendan and i uh have done using 1812 the mm -hmm. the war of 18 uh, about the war of 1812 because that's one of the topics we cover in in so grade nine socials and so we did that we used that in a more simplistic way where they did a little learning about it before we played the game and then we just did a simple uh comment question wonder like a so that's like a worksheet that the kids would get and as they played the game they were they just needed to jot down a couple ideas some comments about what they see happening in the game some questions about things like one of the rules in the game is that there are times where people will run away mm -hmm. in the battles and so you know some of the questions that came out were like well why did why did they run away like why didn't you know why didn't they stay and fight or whatever and there was like you know there's a card that's a turncoat card where like some of the American soldiers can become Canadian because they're loyalists leaving, leaving America and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and so those brought up some cool questions that they, that they kind of like explored. Uh, and so, so some of that, some of the things that you can do can lead to inquiry based on just like exposing them to some more ideas and letting them, like you said, experiential learning where there's playing with, what's happening and so some of those some of those academy games games the war like the 1812 1775 and then the the french and indian war whatever one that one is uh 1767 i think that one is uh yeah. and so those those are nice ones because especially 1812 even though it's not as good of a game as the other two like if you're just sitting down to game yeah. it's it's a more simplistic rule set and so the kids can pick up on it pretty easily. Plus you can run it in teams pretty well mm -hmm. because it's naturally a two, two sided game with multiple roles on each side. And so you can actually team them up and, and people can be pretty involved in a, in a meaningful way in that one. Yeah. And, and so, I have that game and it, and it presents a relevant simulation as well. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, so that one worked well and I was happy with that. And I think what Brendan has done with that has, has been good. What and I'm then, oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say uh, last year, I also ran a socials unit where I collected a bunch of a bunch of medieval era games, theme, themed games. And then they did like a cycle of traveling around and each day they would try a new game. Right. And okay. so we used we used a variety of games. We used like Medieval Academy by Yellow, which I would yep. never use again. It was very boring and didn't really do a whole lot. Uh, we used Century Spice Road, which is a, a tougher game for them to get, but also not super thematic. And yet it still worked pretty well. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had a lot of kids that like uh, the funny thing about that game was kids really enjoyed it sometimes and then would come back at lunch and play it because they had already learned it. Yeah, I mean that's great. And and we used Samurai. Samurai I think was the best one in all of those. And so it's about feudal Japan where you're fighting over the three main like most important resources in that era of rice, uh religion, specifically Buddhism and the the samurai, the warriors, the knights. Uh and so 
it taught the basics of like why that why there was potential for rebellion or or like an overthrow of the main daimyo or the main emperor by other daimyos as well as it was a simple enough game for them to understand i really liked that one and and we used uh, like some others dominion was one that we used and that one worked okay uh and and so that unit i would totally change because I was unhappy with, I didn't feel like the kids learned enough about their historical situation. Okay. And, and so it ended up being not as valuable as I thought. And I would, I, I ended up changing that unit into a different style one where the students had to learn and teach a game. So it became actually like a more of a literacy understanding check so we gave we broke them into groups of four and each student in that group was given a game and they were given the rule book for that game and they had to read the rule book and then prepare themselves to teach that game to the other three people in their group and then we did four class a four class rotation right so they would eat they would play all four of the games and that was intriguing well this is preteen, isn't it Yes. Yes. So this is, these are grade eight. So they're 12 and 13. And it really highlights the fact that instruction manuals are challenging, right? (laughs) Like it's it's a different type of reading. And when, when students are used to, you know, doing cursory readings of plot and kind of easily following a storyline or whatever, and not really parsing out rules, it, it's a real challenge. And so we, it was really interesting in teaching them like a variety of ways to troubleshoot that. Like, well, what could you do? How could you get over this? Oh, well, you could maybe go on YouTube, find a visual representation of the game and how the game runs so that you have support on when you want to teach it. Or, oh, what about Board Game Geek? This is a, an online resource that has tons of material. These, all the games I chose, I think uh, the, the four games that I picked were King Domino, uh, Forbidden Island, the race to El Dorado or whatever that Reiner Knizia deck builder. And oh my goodness, what was the fourth one? Another game that was pretty easy to understand. I can't, in my mind, it's totally. Phil game, maybe. Yeah, totally. Bios, (laughs) yeah, Bios Genesis or whatever it is. Um, But there's a fourth one in there that's that's escaping me right now. But they're all, like, to us, super easy, super simple games to understand. But to, to these kids, they were challenging, right? And they were really challenged to, to understand and learn how the game how the game worked, how the game ran. And so it was a cool experience. It was more of, it wasn't a socials thing. It was a literacy thing. Right. And so I'm I'm just thinking about their, their ability to like linguistically sequential thought where they, yeah, sometimes they're so used to, because of the technology and because of the age, they're so used to scanning information that if you're reading a rule set, a comma is going to change the complete context of a of a rule that you're reading or the interpretation of that rule. Yes, absolutely, right? So it was it was a challenge for them. Ooh, the other game I just <laughs> looked it up on my computer was Ink and Gold. Oh, so, yeah. So very and and partially what of one of the reasons we did this was this was leading into a board game design unit that these same socials these same grade eight kids that earlier in the year had played a bunch of board games the teacher that i'd worked with for that she wanted to have them create their own board game as like a culminating activity of their grade eight year kind of like a you know we've covered all these topics and there might have been topics that we missed that you would like in this like one thousand year time span because you're not going to cover them all yeah and she said Pick a thing, pick a topic in this this thousand years and build a game around it. And to lead up to that, they played all these games to kind of understand of course. different mechanics and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, so that was that was kind of the basis for it. But it it was a really interesting experience for them, uh, and I would definitely recommend it. That's one I really like as a as a test of your your reading skills and your your understanding of yeah like you said language and grammar and how that impacts 
how you convey information. So it was really cool. So that's another thing that I've done. And actually that went so well for that teacher that this year she and I are running a board game design class. Oh, brilliant. So all year long, her grade eight, this one class of grade eights for her, for her like uh, design, it's an ADST thing, right? So yeah. like, you know, if it's like a STEM thing, if pe- or people listening don't necessarily know what that is, it's all about like technology and, and um, you know, uh, design and, thinking and, and stuff like that. Core aspects of education. Yeah. 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 So it's one of our exploratories now. So the like not core subjects actually. And so, so yeah, so she's running that. We're using a lot of Kathleen Mercury's stuff was, for that. I was just going to say, if you have not discovered that, that is a gold mine. She is, she is brilliant in regards to what she's designed and have opened it up open source. Yeah. Kathleen is an amazing human. One of, one of the best that I've ever never actually met in person. Uh, but she, she just, she's, yeah, we're using a lot of her stuff. I've, uh, we've built a lot of what we've been doing around how she structured things. So it's been amazing and it's been a cool start. And so we're getting into the point where they actually are going to be starting to design a mini game for themselves. Uh, and we actually are teaming up with Playtest Northwest down in the the northwest of the US uh, and using some of their their forms for feedback, which is really cool because that was one of our big weaknesses after we ran it last year was that our students weren't really good at giving feedback, right? Mm -hmm. A a lot of kids struggle with that. A lot of kids struggle with giving meaningful feedback. And so so we're using their Playtest form that they use with, you know, random schlubs in the coffee houses and conventions that that do the play testing for them we're using their same form to use with our students to give feedback to the designers in the class so i'm we haven't tried it yet but i'm really excited to to have that support and resource to to be able to kind of make what our students do better yeah and, and hopefully that'll separate the idea that it's not personal commentary it's intellectual commentary absolutely absolutely because one of the big things that that we're kind of tackling right now in our school is this idea of the emotional connection to learning Mm -hmm. and because we work with middle school kids who are emotionally just roller coasters right and so (laughs) i teach uh, in high school so i get the i get the uh, backside of those steep uh, valleys and uh, and and uh, mountains yeah you you're still seeing it I know you're still dealing with it, but like, oh my goodness, just because like, especially since we're a grade six to nine school, like we have, we have kids that are literally half of me, like just (laughs) tiny humans. And then we have, we have bearded grade nine students, you know, like it's just, it's such a weird uh, breadth of students we deal with. And you get them when they don't know how to deal with these emotions where they're Mm -hmm. just it's everything's absolutely fresh and new to them. And, and yeah, by the time they're in high school, they know how to hide those, those angers and resentments. <laughs> yes. And so, so getting personal feedback is really tough for them to handle sometimes. Right. Yeah. And, and they, they are very often take it personally. And so we, uh, my plan is to really walk them through that and say, look, this is not an assessment of you. Yes. You put your heart in this, but yeah. But this is an assessment of of what you've built. And that's why I think Kathleen has them build a really short, basic game at the start because it's not it's not something they've heavily invested in. They can yeah. learn to take feedback well. And and so that's what I, I really want. Like the biggest challenge with board games in the classroom is the same challenge that you face anytime. You want it to be super successful and you want it to work but there's always a glitch and there's always something that you have to roll with or you have to you have to fix in the moment and support the kids that are like floundering or whatever and so so I'm really hoping that that we can scaffold it in a way to to really support the kids and get them bought in right the buy in is so important yeah the um the one thing that uh, I, I was wanting to kind of 
bring this all together with is at every stage and every idea that you're talking about you without even me cueing it you've talked about formative assessment you've talked about doing surveys you've talked about um, leading questions or the the what next question and I think what I've what I've noticed with my use of cardboard in the classroom is that's the that's the legitimacy of of making that can bridging that understanding um, because there's always going to be scrutiny from your colleagues who don't understand what it is you're trying to do but if you show that in regards to your assessment and evaluation tools that there is legitimacy in connecting these ideas and themes through the catalyst of this board game um, that's to me that's the always the one thing i'm focused on is is from a professional point of view i need to have valuable assessment in order to give myself direction Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think one of the, I haven't mentioned it yet, but one of the key ideas in using board games or role-playing games or whatever in the classroom is the opportunity for the student reflection. Mm -hmm. So, so making sure that you set aside time that is meaningful for them to stop and think about what they did and why it's connected to their learning. Because if you, if the bell rings, they're done, right? Yeah. Their mind is gone. And so if you time things up poorly or, or whatever, you need to, you need to fix that. And so it's really meaningful for them to stop and think about, well, what, what is it that I just did? And how does that change the way I see things? How does that make me think critically? Did I make the right choice here? How does this relate to the content that I'm covering? Whatever whatever way you're trying to use the board game, reflection is so vital because it reinforces what you were trying to do. Because they they you need to help them make those connections. Right? As a high school teacher, I absolutely appreciate um, that point of view that you're what you're working on because at that preteen age they need to establish some sort of routine or some sort of, um, um, like you said, scaffolding, you know, priority this, then that, and I can't get, I, I can't achieve the next level until I fully understand the, the concept of the level I'm working on. And it's, there's so many times that, um, when you skip those levels that you're talking about with the reflection and the introspection, there's it makes everything that you've done um pointless yeah yeah absolutely and so so that would be my biggest stressor like if all of the other things that i've said have gone in your one ear and out the other for you because i'm just jibber jabbering about stuff that relates specifically to me that's that's my biggest takeaway is make sure that if you're using it like even i had teachers that that wanted to do financial literacy and math last year. And so I worked hard to try and find games that would work with that. So I ended up there, they used stockpile and they used games like, uh, like, uh, acquire and for, for sale. I know you guys talk about for sale a lot on your show. Uh, and, but then they were like, but also we would like monopoly and we would <laughs> like, uh, the game of life. And I almost threw up and then, <laughs> and, and they said, oh, and clue too. And I was like, wait, what, how does, how, how is clue about, uh, financial literacy? And they said, well, you know, this was all two weeks, the last two weeks before Christmas break. So really it was just an excuse for them to, uh, screw around. And that frustrated, <laughs> frustrated me. That's not what we're trying to do. No. And so, but I tried to install and I said, look, you need to make your kids reflect. If they played this game, if they played Monopoly, because Monopoly, yes, you're dealing with yeah. budgets and 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 you have to make smart choices in the auction. I made them play by the right rules. They weren't putting extra money into the middle <laughs> of the board and all that kind of stuff. But I said, I said, look, if you want these kids to get something out of this, they need to reflect. They need to think, yeah. well, how does this impact this financial literacy unit that we're doing? What did I have to do with my money? What were, what were my plans along the way? And really, if you really want to do it well, 
they should be documenting and taking notes as they play to talk about what are my plans after turn one? What are my plans after turn two? What are my plans after turn three? What am I going for? And that obviously is potentially stilting what the kids are doing as they play, but that potentially could be really meaningful in, in that they're really digging into the critical thinking side of things and making sure that they're really grasping the, the, the goal of that activity that you're trying to run. Cause in the end, at the start of this talk, I said, you know, we want to, we want to bring board games into our, our hub or into our daily lives because we love board games. But if you're doing it just as that motivation, you're going to suck at it because mm -hmm. you, you really, in the end, it needs to be about learning. And so like I did with power grid, you have to sometimes break rules or break the flow up or whatever you need to do to make sure that the students are understanding that that is still the key. Yes, we're playing a game. Yes, we're having fun, but we also are learning. This is also an experience where we're trying to gain knowledge from. The, um, and that's the most difficult part is trying to find that bridge where the, the purpose and the game kind of meet together. Absolutely. Cool. Well, you know what? You've basically segued this right perfectly coming right back to Power Grid that I think let's transition into what's now becoming one of my favorite things about this when I have guests on is uh, the Cardboard Pivo Questionnaire. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So um, uh, just for those who uh, aren't uh, as, as old as I am and remember lots of bad television, um, this one's based off of uh, inside the actor's studio and, and James Lipton borrowed this from Bernard Pivot, um, uh, who was a host in France. So I basically manipulated the question so it would match our, our fantastic hobby here. So you ready for them? Ten Absolutely. Questions. Let's All do right. it. So question number one, what is your favorite game mechanism? Uh, I think that my favorite game mechanism is dice worker placement Ooh. okay i don't know i don't know why i enjoy a lot of worker placement stuff i don't know why dice specifically i think it's the the randomness that leads to tactical decisions in the moment and having to well, be what's reactionary your, what's your favorite game then of that uh i really like uh, oh my goodness. I mean, Euphoria, but that's not really that dice worker replacement. I really like Alien Frontiers for that with the <laughs> dice worker placement and Voyages of Marco Polo. I was on a rant today on, on Twitter about how Voyages of Marco Polo is fantastic and Simone Luciani is probably a, like one of the most underrated Euro designers in board games right now. I believe Ryan jumped on that thread as well. Yes, yes, he did. Yeah. I appreciated right. his support. <laughs> All right, so on to number two. What is your least favorite game mechanism? Uh, probably take that. Yeah. I mean, roll and move is an easy one, but take that. I That's low hanging fruit, that one. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't like when people can screw with my tasty engine. I mean, there are times, <laughs> there are times where it's fine, but like... Uh, in a lot of games, a lot of Euros, I'm like, well, you do your thing over there and I'll do my thing over here and we'll just see who's better at it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, number three, what engages you as a content creator? Uh, list The listeners. The listeners make me uh, want to be excited about what I do. Uh, getting feedback from people like those of you listening right now, you should be letting Norman Ryan and Tim know that, that you love this show, right? Like giving, giving them feedback and letting them know that like, that's what drives me knowing that what I do, it, because content creation can be really weird and that you make it and you publish it on the internet and it's just out of your hands and it exists. Oh, and it's unnerving you have no sometimes. Idea. Yeah. You haven't, I mean, is it like, yes, you can see numbers on like whatever podcast thing or YouTube or whatever, or your downloads and, and, and hits on your website, but, but the interaction is what really supports and reinforces what you do. Well, and I think the, the interaction just through Twitter that I've experienced with this community is so um, supportive and uplifting. It's, it's incredible. 
Um, let's move on. Number four, um, what turns you off about uh, this, the, I was going to say content creation or the gaming hobby? Uh, can I say douchebags? <laughs> you can. <laughs> you can. Uh, I um, would say. Give me some would, context. I'm yeah, going to yeah. say, yes, I totally agree. I, but... I like haters, like people that, that want to watch the world burn and will just come at people for no reason or, or want to be uh counter just like want to counter an argument just to argue. Right. Or the, like people that are just here to watch the world burn. I don't want you in my hobby. I want you to go do something else because I love how, so often this hobby is accepting and supportive of everyone, no matter, you know, race, creed, gender, whatever, like that's what I want to see. And I don't, I don't have any time for people who are, who are targeting, who are going after people because they don't have the same worldview as them or, or whatever mm -hmm. bullcrap. Like, like, no, forget that. You can go, you can go play, you know, a video game by yourself in your, in your house because uh, yeah that okay. i don't have time for that okay i uh i i fully support that uh number five this this is in the um in the pivo questionnaire this is the question that says what is your favorite curse word but <laughs> um, i would I, go with douchebag again that's my answer what, what i've what i've done though i think it's a clever little twist is what moment in playing board games or in board gaming has often made you drop the f-bomb oh uh people getting in my way when i have a great idea or great plan i was <laughs> i was i like i don't i don't swear a lot uh and and at the table i'm very I'm very uh, calm. Like I talk a but lot I mean, at the table. The swear could be in your head. It's just. Oh yeah, yeah. I I was playing uh, Barrage, which is a brand new game on coming to Kickstarter soon from Cranio Creations, designed partially by Simone Luciani. And I was playing with uh, Elisa from the company last night over Tabletopia, and she, just like twenty times over the course of that game. <laughs> she would do the thing that I wanted to do right before it. And so it's like a worker placement game where the first spot is free. And the if you want to also do that action later, later, like it costs three extra dollars or more workers or whatever. And so there were just so many times where I was like, <laughs> ah, oh, so close. So those are, those are the kind of things, just like people throwing wrenches in my plans, really. All right. All right. So number six. What is your favorite sound or noise in board gaming? Oh man, I don't know. Uh, you know what? No, that's not true. The box fart. You know when you push the <laughs> box back in and the, it creates the box fart. That's got to be my favorite noise when, when it comes to gaming. That's what well, I'll go with. The box well, fart. I was trying to hide the adolescent part of my personality, but you, <laughs> you said fart. So yeah, hey, you invited you. You've listened to my show before, I, man. I, I knew what I was in store for. I, I was kind of hoping for it too. Um, so number seven, what is your least favorite sound or noise in board gaming? Tearing, like gripping, uh, like not not. I'm fine with that with like pandemic. I'm not one of those people. It's yeah. like, ooh, I can't. But like, you know the. Or no, maybe not that. Maybe it's maybe it's the sound of a spilled beer on the table. That I think that's that's worse than ripping. Just like that, the the glug glug and oh no, you know that that I think is my least. My that's least like the slow time. motion, closing the car door, seeing your car keys in the car moment kind of. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, yeah, no, I, you made me cringe just when you said that. Um, uh, number eight, what game would you like to play right now? I, oh man, you know what I'd really, I've been jonesing to play again for some reason. And I, there's no way I would start it at nine o'clock at night, but Twilight Imperium fourth edition. Oh. I was thinking about that today. Uh, that one, that one I would totally play right now. <laughs> A little drool came out. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> number nine, what game would you be happy to never play again oh wow um i mean we're as reviewers we get a lot of crappy games but 
Oh man. Reflection. I guess my, like easy. Okay. Easy answer. Like munchkin. Cause <laughs> okay. I mean, although I would play like a totally different, like random deck that I have never played before. Cause there's funny jokes in there. So that's, that's probably not true. Like, I don't like the game itself, but I could have a laugh with it. A game that, like, if your child came up to you and said, go go ahead. I got it. Santa Maria. Santa Maria was a game that pissed me off so much because of how disrespectful it felt to to the whole concept of colonization. And even though it was a really good game, it got, like, when when we talked about it on the show, I got, like, physically angry. Physically angry. And so I would, I'd be more than happy to never play that one again. Or the new one from DLP coming out that's called Manitoba. That is just like a conglomeration of just racial insensitivity of, well, no, not racial insensitivity, but just like taking a, a, a appropriation, cultural yeah. appropriation. Cause they're, they're doing, I, it, it's all about, I forget if who, which actual Aboriginal or indigenous group it's about, but they actually are taking ideas from the Haida out on the west coast with like totem poles and bringing it to manitoba and also manitoba they have mountains which i mean you would know there's no there are no mountains in manitoba it's flat we're on the prairies man you can see your dog run away for five days i know so like so that game i haven't even played it but i refuse to ever play it just because of how just like culturally insensitive and and just like culturally appropriative it is Okay. So those ones, those are the kind of games that make me mad. You got a big heart. I like that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Number 10. If money and resources were not a problem, what game would you like to design? Uh, I've taught, well, I've talked about designing a game that probably would never, like no one would actually want to play, but that's uh, a game of running your own board game store your friendly local game store uh where you have to like uh you have to manage your store floor so you can buy like it's kind of like if you ever played brew crafters you can buy like upgrades to your brewery to make things more effective so it'd be that a bit of that idea where you can add like you know gaming space to your to your game group or or sorry your your game store or like extra shelves or like a magic wall or you know like those kinds of things uh and then it's also like a time management game because you know you're just you working at your store because you're a startup friendly local game store so you can't hire employees so it's just like you and maybe stealing some like from detective where if you work overtime you get stressed out so you'd get like stress tokens if you're working overtime <laughs> to, get, to keep your store running uh and so was, i think that would i think there's there would be some like cool ideas in that but really it would just be like a boring euro that people are like yeah but who really wants to run their own friendly local game store <laughs> so uh yeah that i think that's one that i've thought about also one that i came up with not long ago after listening to a podcast, I can't remember which podcast they were talking about. Um, they were talking about legacy games. Oh, it was on the shuffle, which is okay. one of my fellow uh, punchboard media contributor or like podcasts. And, and they talked about legacy games and I thought of making a harvest moon style legacy farming game. So, oh, wow. or like harvest moon slash uh, stardew Valley. You know, where like you are, you have your own farm and you every year, every gameplay is one year and you're playing multiple years over like in this village where you you're farming your land. And but there's also legacy components where you interact with villagers and you can fall in love with villagers and get married or you could like you know, help villagers build new stores in your town or, you know, chase bad people off. Or if you're doing, doing Stardew Valley style, there's like a Agricola or not Agricola, but a Caverna, you know, adventuring part where you go out into the tunnels yeah. and, and do some adventure stuff. I don't know. I think that would be a super fun, like campaign legacy style adventure that would have, you know, a fun theme to it and kind of like, change the way you look at at uh at like a farming game uh, and you know what being from the prairies I, I right away i was thinking we live that and i still want to play it 
Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But you wouldn't find all the great, unique stories and characters that would be in that game. Oh, you, you could have a, you could have a, a on Main Street Coffee Row where all the retired farmers would sit and talk about the weather. Yeah, and they would, and you maybe, maybe by doing that, you get advice and you level up one of your Ooh, skills, like so talking now, to the the masters, the wise Yodas. Exactly, and then there's probably like a talking bear that you find in the forest <laughs> or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, don't start forest fires. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, I think we're starting to get a little silly now. Um, uh, so I that's uh, I'm going to take that as a cue that we should wrap things up. So um, I'm, I'm going to just give us uh, one last uh, closing uh, moment for uh, you to tell us um, how and where we can find you. Okay, so uh, Twitter is the best for, for interacting with us, as, as you already mentioned. Uh, we are bo- at Boards Alive, and I'm, I'm on there a lot, and I'm, I love interacting with folks there. Uh, if you want to listen to our podcast, it is much less insightful and uh, much more of the tail end of this, the stupid jokes that I'm trying to make. Uh, That's most of what our show is. And so you can find us wherever you find podcasts, you can find boards alive. Uh, And we've got like a main flagship show where we talk about games and review games and discuss stuff. And then my wife has a show called it's date night. Yeah. Uh, a podcast that she and I do that's all about the games that we play together on date night and also the ask date night version of that show where we give advice on how to be good humans uh, and mo- I guess like board game related stuff with yeah, that too. Don't really take that games. That's the first step. Hey, you know what? Sometimes, sometimes you got to get that, like that nice back and forth that like, Oh, what did you do? Yeah. You know, it sparks the fire every once in a while. Right. Uh, and, uh, and so that one, and then we do, uh, we do boards of live plays where we do some live or I guess just, uh, not live action role-playing. It's not that, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's like, uh, actual play podcasts where we play D D or we've played other things like star trek adventures or someday we'll finally finish our kids on bikes series uh and even my son who is seven has started doing mini 10 minute ish shows with me called boards a little which is <laughs> a little version of boards alive so we do we do almost weekly content at this point and uh so if you just have nothing going on in your life and you need to listen to a lot of podcasts, we can provide a lot of content for you. I do have to say I'm, I'm hugely entertained by your latest, uh, uh, your top, what is it? Your 40 to 31. Oh yeah. But the trash list. Yeah. My wife is I'm uh, loving that. Just a, a very unique. It, I felt like those, the, the first two episodes we've done of that have been really highlighted by the fact that Lindsay has just trashed some games because, because well, not, really, not just trashed. It's like hanging on by the hair and taking a knee right to the forehead. Oh, <laughs> yeah. She, she is a lovely blunt woman. sometimes, <laughs> And so, so those are really good because like, Really, we're doing a top 50, and the the 50 to 30 zone is not nearly as entertaining. Like, those are games that we love, but they're not those top, top ones. And so to have Lindsay kind of, like, evening us out with just some very sick burns on some games, uh, it makes it a really entertaining listen. So thank you. appreciate that. For part of me, as I'm listening to it, as I'm smiling all the time while I'm driving, going, she's saying the things that everybody else is thinking. (laughs) Yeah, it's like Jerry Seinfeld comedy level of board game podcasting. Have you ever noticed? Yeah. (laughs) Well, that being said, um, thank you so much for uh, sitting in the chair and uh, providing some content for Cardboard in the Classroom and for everything you're doing for your students. um, I... uh, uh, I just can't, uh, I can't help but uh, keep promoting this idea through, through the educational system. And um, so, yes, thank you from, uh, from us to you. No problem. Thank you for, thank you for having me on. And thank you for doing this. Uh, this is, uh, 
this is a really meaningful thing to to have in our hobby to because there's a lot of teachers that that are board game fans and and I'm sure there's lots of people out there that want to know how they can do that. We we did a panel at Shucks last year on this very topic and, and we had a, a great turnout. We had lots of great feedback and people want to know like how do I how do I do this? And and it needs to be done well, it needs to be done meaningfully. And so I really appreciate that you you guys are are working hard to try and support people in making their content for their classrooms meaningful and engaging for their students. So great job. Well, thank you. Being an instructional designer, I just wanted to create a venue for like people like yourself who had fantastic ideas for the classroom and no opportunity to, to share those because I mean, as educators, we're always head down into what we're doing and rarely have a time to, you know, take a breath and have a look at what everybody else is doing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Teaching can be pretty insular. Uh, so that's that's what part of my job is as a teacher librarian is to go door to door and say, hey, what are you doing? How can I help you? How can I break you out of your multi-year funk of teaching by yourself, potentially, <laughs> right? So Fantastic. Well, thank you to, uh, as we always like to joke around, thank you to that one person who's listening to the podcast and making us have purpose. Uh, so thank you for listening to Cardboard in the Classroom. I'm your host, Norm, and our guest tonight was Aaron. And we'll catch you later. Take care. We are Bridge City Board Gamers, and you can find us on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter at BC Board Gamers. Our Facebook page is Saskatoon Tabletop Games Community. And on Board Game Geek, Guild number 3039.